0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Close Traffic Podcast. It's your boy Mike, and only your boy Mike. That's right. We've got a uh, a little bit of a different flavor for today's episode. Uh, I'm running solo, man. Uh, first, uh, first solo show since the uh, inception of the Close Traffic Podcast. Uh, none other than uh, our founder, Mr. Johnny Green himself. Uh, if you guys uh, have been following us since the very beginning. Uh, Johnny actually started this podcast on his own. The first episode ever recorded was him running a solo show. Um, go back and listen to some of the uh, previous episodes where we talk about that and the inception and what ran through his mind uh, back then and why he, uh, he decided to, uh, on one uh, quote-unquote drunken night, uh, rant on about aviation. But nonetheless, uh, I'm here. Yeah, boy, Mike. It's been busy, man. We, we've all been quite busy here over the last couple of weeks. I know we haven't had an episode in a while, so you know what? Uh, in, in in light of uh, some scheduling conflicts and logistics, and a lot of us have been on the road for work and whatnot, things have just been hectic. I say, let me come on here and jump on and do a solo show. So obviously, podcast recording only, uh, no live show today, but I wanted to get into a couple of things, a couple of things. I think... Um, uh, I'm a little bit more prepared than I typically am if you listen to the show, right? We generally say we've got a couple of different topics and then we just bounce it off of each other or our guests., uh, but this time, <clears throat> obviously, I'm running solo. No one to really bounce off of uh, off of for for ideas and content and and banter, if you will. So I'm a little bit more prepared today. So that being said, we're gonna cover a couple of different topics. Listen, I think it goes without, say we've seen in aviation uh, lots of different. Uh, accidents and incidents. And you can go by the, uh, the the far aim definition of an accident or an incident, the FAA federal uh, definition of an accident or an incident. Uh, but nonetheless, we've seen a ton of them. Uh, specifically, uh, definitely want to talk about the uptick in runway incursions we've been seeing um, here in in the past uh, really year or so. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into private pilot training. Um going out to 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 actually pick up a, uh, a private pilot ticket and start your aviation journey. We'll talk about what that all entails. I had someone recently reach out to me who had just started their journey about four hours in and had a couple of different questions for me. And I said, you know what, I, I, you can find a ton of videos and a ton of different topics and a ton of different material that talks about, you know, best tips and trips, uh, tricks, I should say, and what you should do and shouldn't do from far more qualified people than me or anyone else on the closed traffic podcast. But, you know, we've all we've all uh, we've all for those of us with a ticket um, have have been through it. We've all got our own sort of uh, experiences and things that I think it's uh, it's fair uh, to at least start to uh, articulate and talk about and share what those experiences were like for for you as an individual. And that's what I'll do today. I'll talk about some of the things that I know helped me along the way and is continuing to help me along the way uh, as I uh, pursue getting this instrument ticket wrapped up. Speaking of instrument ticket, we'll talk about that as well, kind of where I am in that journey and that process and how that's going. And then last but not least, uh, we can't leave out uh flight sim. Uh, you've got uh, a bunch of different things that have has have, has transpired uh, here in uh, the last couple of weeks since we've, we've last talked to you all and have had an episode, and um, we should touch on them. I think more specifically what I'll cover today is really uh, the Phoenix A320 uh, big update, uh, the V2 updates that uh, that has recently come down here um, and sort of uh, the initial impressions and sort of the things, some of the things that we're reading and and uh, and whatnot. So uh, without further ado, we will we'll jump right into it. So uptick in runway incursions. Um, one of the things I think as I was looking into this, this afternoon is, is this a perception or is it a reality? and Kind of what I mean by that is, are we seeing a true uptick in runway incursions and, and incidents uh, like that specifically? Uh, or is it just being documented and covered more because of social media and cameras and you know, everything just goes super viral here in the uh, the, the society that we're living in these days. W- were these always an issue or is it a mix of both? Um, does fatigue play a role? Does uh, short staffness, of, that's not even a word, <laughs> staffing uh, concerns or considerations uh, for the air traffic controllers um, and even the pilots, you know, are, are they being overworked? Um, you know definitely definitely some things to consider there. I think you know one of the ones that in recent memory is uh that might have been in February now. Uh don't quote me on that, and I'll look it up here as I as I talk about it. Uh the JFK incident by the uh, American Triple Seven and the uh the Delta, the, the Delta flights. Um that was uh they were departing the four lefts uh, and uh, the American was asked to was instructed, I should say, to a taxi uh, to four left. And they ended up crossing three one left, which, if you know, JFK uh, is actually the intersecting runway there. And uh, it, it uh, caused uh, the, the Delta 73 to uh, to reject their takeoff clearance. It was uh, Delta 1943. And the, the New York Times titled it Delta 1943 canceled takeoff wrong term results and near miss at JFK. Um, if you guys remember that airplane, that American triple seven crossed at about a thousand feet ahead of that departing, um, Delta flight. And I haven't heard any additional, uh, updates on sort of what the FAA has found on that. Um, I know the, uh, the American pilots were asked to, uh, uh to come in and, and sit down and, and take an interview by the NTSB or was it FAA? I think it was NTSB. Um, and and they kind of refuse. So uh, the legalities and and the union and, and all those other things that uh, that goes into that, I'm not quite sure. But uh, I know uh, uh, they were they were asked to, to come in and, and talk about, um, you know, in their eyes and <clears throat> from their point of view, uh, what had entailed there. And um, there was an initial refusal there. I don't know what has transpired since. But anyway, not to harp on that. It's uh, again, like, you know, are we seeing? An uptick in this because right we know that uh really since covid we've seen a uh, uh a decline in staffing positions uh, as it relates to air traffic control um you know yeah I'd, I'd say about since 2020 really um you've also got pilots working you know a lot more segments than they have in the past now Granted, right, they're still, I'm sure, uh, complying with the, uh, the the federally mandated hours uh, that they are allowed to fly over a period of time, um, depending on what parts uh, they, uh, you know, what parts uh, they, they qualify for, what, what part they, they operate in. Um, so I'm sure there's no law being broken there. But at the end of the day, right, there's a difference between what's actually written and established versus what the... Uh, the human body can tolerate over a certain amount of time so i've i've heard folks talk about hey you know our pilots just being overworked um and i think it's a little bit of both i think you know it's certainly being captured more uh you've got youtube channels out there like vast aviation um you know that has captured a lot of these over the the recent years um you can go online and you know Gets uh, flight radar data um, to actually pinpoint down to, gosh, man, close to probably the seconds as it relates to real time view of where an aircraft is at any time. I, you know, I've done it a ton plane spotting where you know I'll sit outside LAX or something down by In and Out for those of you that are familiar, and I'll pull up flight radar just to see what you know the approach segment looks like and who's coming in and what equipment and literally man, flight radar is, is, is down to the T. Like you actually see them crossing that threshold and flight radar has them crossing that threshold and the, this air speed or the indicated speed or the ground speed rather um, is dead on. So there's a, uh, you know, all that being said, there's a lot of different tools at everyone's disposal. Um, you know, live ATC audio, right? I think that's Thing is stored for months. You can go back and pull things like that. Uh, obviously live ATC audio uh, as well as things are happening. So many different things, uh, technology-wise, that weren't necessarily available to the general public in the past. That folks are are utilizing to capture these things. So I think it's probably a mix of, uh, you know, an uptick, a true uptick, uh, as well as we're just seeing it more. Uh, from a general public standpoint so again a open to feedback open to you know your your opinions about what you're actually seeing but you know I thought it was uh interesting to bring up I you know I saw a post on it recently where uh there was another issue um gosh what was this one specifically I'm drawing a blank here oh, Spirit Airlines so Spirit was asked to Coming into Boston, um, another American was taking off, not the American pilot's fault this time, but an American was taking off uh, and uh, Spirit was asked to hold short and they barely crossed the whole short line uh, and Tower told American to reject the uh, the takeoff. Um, again, was Spirit going to hold there? Probably, it looked like from the, from the depiction and the audio of what was going on, they weren't necessarily going to fully cross, but they crossed just enough to... Uh, make the controller uneasy and and I believe that American pilots started rejecting even before um, air traffic control came on and told them to reject so it's uh I think these things are, are certainly there's certainly an uptick there's certainly some things going on and um again I think it's a mix of uh an uptick as well as we're capturing it more from a a general a general public viewership standpoint um you know speaking of of uh, you know ATC shortages and whatnot, you you even see it uh, flying in really busy airspaces like I do here in SoCal, where I'll oh, ask for flight following, um, really to anywhere. I love flight following, especially when you follow you you fly in a in a in a really busy airspace. I think it's uh it's important that you pick up flight following, even if you're only going you know 15, 20, 30 nautical miles, uh, even if you're going out to the practice area to 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 do maneuvers or Whatever it is you may be, pick up flight following, even if it's just for traffic advisories, especially if you're in a busy, busy airspace uh, like we've got here in SoCal. It's, it's helpful. Uh, but where I'm going with that is a lot of the times, right, it's, uh, you know, I've seen here in recent past, we've been uh, unable, right, unable flight following at this time due to due to staffing. Uh, we saw a lot of that during COVID and, you know, we're seeing still a lot of it now. And uh, I think that 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 certainly plays a role as well. Um, lots of different things, lots of different things to consider here as it relates to that. But that's what I wanted to come in and share. I'm open to feedback and and, and different opinions, but about it. But uh, I think generally, you know, if I were to answer my own question here, is it a recent uptick or is it uh, more of a perception than anything? And, and it's probably a mix of both. Um, that's my story, and I am sticking to it. Let's segue into uh, private pilot training. So you want to be a pilot, you know, a couple of different things. And again, like I started the show with, I don't probably the least qualified person here to talk about it, but I've been through the journey. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's only fair that, um, uh, I have an opinion on it. And like I said, I was asked here recently as well as before about, you know, some of the things that I've done, uh, to ensure or to help drive success in uh, pursuing uh, your ticket uh, we'll we'll talk about this in the context of private pilot first. Uh, your first initial uh, sort of um, um, bridge here towards whatever additional tickets you're looking to pick up. flight school, choosing a flight school and discovery flight. I think everyone for the most part. And listen, we're on a, uh, an aviation podcast here, so I'm assuming a couple of different things. But um, for those that don't really know where to even begin, a discovery flight is is uh, generally what happens, right? So you go down to your local airport near you, or maybe uh, a loved one or a friend buys you for your birthday or for a holiday or Christmas or whatever it may be, um, a uh, certificate for a discovery flight, you go down to your local flight school, you're getting a a small general aviation aircraft, whether it's a Piper or a Cessna or my favorite, the Cirrus. But we'll get into that. If my my calls were on, they'd roll their eyes right now. <laughs> but whatever it is, a Diamond, whatever it is, you jump into a small general aviation aircraft and and um, uh, the the flight instructor takes you up. And even before that, right? And and if you're going to a <sighs> A, a, a school and you're with the right instructor, generally they sit you down and talk through what your your goal is, right? As it relates to what you're looking to achieve today and in the future as it relates to aviation. It can be from, hey man, I don't know, I'm just here because my friends and my family have always heard me talk about aviation and we just wanna go up and do a quick flight and take a scenic tour. You could have no interest in flying at all. You probably just wanna go up and explore your local neighborhood or city or town uh, from far above, um, or from a different perspective that you've you've never really had before. And to the other extreme, where it could be, I want to go be a commercial pilot. Where do I start? So anyway, getting a plane and 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 the instructor again, depending on how seasoned the instructor is, what are the protocols of the flights? So I could tell you, I I was allowed to do the takeoff. Right. And again, it probably comes down to how comfortable you even are as it relates to what you want to achieve. I remember my discovery flight. Uh, he let me do the takeoff uh, as well as uh, the approach. Uh, he only took over, I would say, probably in about a 10, uh, not even about a eight mile final, uh, definitely within 10, 10, uh, 10 nautical miles. And again, it depends on how much experience you truly have. Right. I was flights him in a ton before I actually went out to do a true discovery flight. But anyway, they take you up, they maybe let you play with the flight controls. At the end of the day, that's where you start. You start with the discovery flight, you sit down, you talk about what your goals are, what you're looking to achieve, et cetera, et cetera. Picking the right flight school, I think beyond the discovery flight, because just because you go to a specific flight school to do a discovery flight doesn't necessarily mean that's the school you're going to choose to pursue your aviation career or journey. I think it's even fair to go do a couple of discovery flights if you've got a a couple of different flight schools within your area or something and you just want to try it out. Um, I don't think there's any harm in that. It's going to be costly, um, but I don't think there's any harm in that. But uh, some of the things that I look for is, you know, what are the instructors like? What are are their experiences? Um, You know, what's the structure of the school like? Right. Got it. Obviously, most likely, hopefully a chief pilot, assistant chief pilot um, instructors that have been there for a while. Um, you know, I think depending on where you go, you may have a mix of instructors that, um, you know, are there just to meet the minimum hours and go off to, uh, to pursue, uh, aviation as a career, go off to the airlines or whatever it may be. Uh, n- nothing wrong with that. I think from my perspective, I found that a mix is, is great. Your seasoned instructors that are there because they love instructing, uh, as well as instructors that are, uh, you know, probably a little bit more focused and dedicated towards going out and pursuing a career in aviation. I don't think there's a uh, there's anything wrong with a mix of that. What you probably don't want is uh, one wing to one side or the other. Uh, what I mean by that is you don't want a school full of. And for your private pilot, I think uh, for your instrument and and other uh, tickets probably doesn't matter as much. But I found that for your private pilot. You want to ensure that you get an instructor that you're probably going to be with for at least the majority of your training. Uh, I think you know as you pursue that initial rating, that initial ticket, that private pilot ticket, uh, building a camaraderie with someone that you feel safe in the cockpit with, someone that is going to uh, adapt to whatever your learning style is, is is far more important um, than anything else. I think for your, your, your initial private pilot, uh, because there's going to be so many things that are going to be introduced to you um, that are going to be totally new concepts. And depending on your learning style, how you absorb that is going to be incredibly important. And it's going to dictate how long it's going to take you as well as how much it's going to cost you to actually complete that aviation, I'm sorry, aviation journey, that private pilot journey. Um, so picking the right instructor, picking the right flight school, the right fleet, i cannot say this enough it is incredibly important that you pick a flight school that has the appropriate amount of aircrafts um as well as um, great maintenance on those aircrafts and why why i say that is as you pursue your private pilot ticket you want as little downtime as possible throughout that process and i'm going to get into a little bit more about that in here in a second but in the in the for the in the perspective or in the context of ensuring that it's an it's an it's a flight school that has the appropriate amount of aircrafts they're well maintained etc it's important because and this happened to me and others that i have talked to i cannot tell you how much of a setback it is when you're used to flying a specific airplane or a specific number of airplanes and they're always in maintenance. Um, it, it, it it means, right, that those those aircrafts are in maintenance and you're not actually up there flying and building the hours and learning maneuvers and all of the other things that are associated with getting that ticket. Sure, you can chair fly. Sure, there's ground. There are other th- components to pursuing your private pilot or any ticket than the actual flying portion itself. But the more you fly, especially when you're being first introduced to aviation, um, the, 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 the better off you're going to be and, in the sh- and and the shorter the time frame in which you're going to complete that private pilot ticket. So fleet availability, how the fleet is maintained is super important stick to, if you can, one aircraft and even within the same family. What I mean by that is if you've got a school that's got a 172 Papa, a 172 Mike, a 172 November, I found that, again, for starting off, it's a pain to switch back and forth, especially when you've got, you know, on some of those 172s, right, depending on the model and the year flaps 40 or flaps 30, right? As it relates to the range of flaps that are available on the aircraft. Those older Cessnas as well, older aircrafts in general, they vary uh, as it relates to how the aircraft flies, right? You've got some of them that's, you know, got uh, really nice flight controls. You could tell those cables have been greased or replaced or pretty new, um, uh, there's just very little qu- different quirks, especially when you've got a, a quite a large span of years, uh, between the, the, the Cessnas. Again, my example is a Cessna here, a 172 or even a 152. Uh, they vary greatly depending on how, how large of a span as it relates to years. Um, the, f- the fleet is made up of at your flight school. Uh, and I found sticking to, either the same plane itself or the same like Papa model. I love the Papa model. 172 Papa models is my fir- favorite one to fly. Uh, obviously next to your, uh, your, your much newer ones, um, especially with the G one thousands and whatnot, but the older fleets, the Papa model is the best one um, that I found um, personally. So sticking to, again, as much as you can, the same airplane or the same fleet. My initial school had one Cessna. Um, and I got the most of, of, of the private pilot journey, uh, with that plane. Um, but, uh, definitely had to end up switching. Then I went to another one that had one Cessna. So my, my whole journey altogether, you know, years ago now, um, I was, I went to probably about three different flight schools. And again, it was a mix of, you know, fleet issues or, instructor availability, or just a couple of these things that I've been talking about, you want to, the key to getting that private pilot is consistency. Consistency on your part, uh, making sure, and again, we're going to get into a little bit of this in a bit, making sure you're taking care of what you need to take care of from a consistent standpoint, as well as consistency in your instructor, the availability, the aircraft, the equipment, uh, just all the consistency, I think, is the root word here as it relates to probably any ticket, but especially your private pilot. Let's see, get that medical out of the way. Um, Again, for those of you that uh, don't know, right, I'm going to assume a lot here uh, for those of you listening to a aviation podcast, but those of you that may be new and you stumbled on this podcast for the very first time and you have no clue about aviation or where to start, uh, uh, a uh, at least here in the US, FAA, at least a class three medical is required for you to obtain a private pilot's license uh, and for you to solo an aircraft. Um, there have been stories and stories and stories of people that have gone 15 hours in, didn't pick up their medical till just before they wanted to go solo or they were getting ready to go solo didn't go out to get the medical and then found out that they didn't qualify for what one reason or the other now there are things out there like basic men and and other things that i'm not going to get into without actually picking up the far aim to read you guys read through it um as it relates to what's required and some of the other considerations Uh, but the, the takeaway here is go get that class three, at least a class three medical done. If you are planning to pursue your, you know, all the way to the commercial ATPL, whatever it is you want to fly as a career, go get that class one, get the class one done up front. Um, in all likelihood, you're going to be healthier now. Than you are tomorrow right and again lots of caveats with that sentence but you know the quicker you can get the highest medical depending on what your career aspirations or goals are the better off you'll be uh, but at a minimum you just want to get a private pilot you don't plan on going commercial um you don't plan on going to the airlines because there's some commercial outfits that i think class two works um uh, but you know for the, the the minimum here as we're as we're talking about in the context of getting your initial private pilot go get that class three done before it's 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 too late i went and got mine i think like two hours in i had like two hours go get it done it's the best way to ensure that you are healthy enough to fly before you go dump a bunch of money into flight school the other consideration here for getting it out the way is your written Uh, Again, for those of you that don't know, there are a couple of different components as it relates to obtaining your private pilot license. You've got the FAA mandated practical exam where you'll go with a FAA examiner or DPE, typically it's a DPE. um, And that practical consists of an oral as well as the flight portion where you actually go out and demonstrate everything you've learned from a maneuver standpoint um, throughout your, your, your training. But before that, you've got to get the FAA written exam done, the the PAR, the private, uh, I think it's called the PAR for the private pilot, P-A-R, private airplane, I don't remember, it's PAR, that's the acronym. Um, Go get a ground school done, whether it's King's or Sporties, or we'll talk about ground school in a bit here as well, whatever it is, but get the written done. The last thing you want to do is have that in the back of your mind as you approach check ride prep time or check right in general, is you still got to go out and get the written. And a lot of people look at it and say, you know, it's part of the process anyway, towards quote unquote exams, I might as well just get done closer to the oral. And the only reason why I would say that doesn't necessarily work, right? Because I've heard two arguments, right? You get the written done too early, you forget everything you learned in ground school when it's time for your actual. Check ride time and prep for your oral. And I've heard you wait too long. I'm in this camp, by the way. You wait too long, and in the back of your mind, it's the one more thing you've got to get done as you're preparing for your check ride. And why I'm in the latter camp is because that written is the very basic foundations of what's going to be covered in your practical, your oral portion of your exam. They in no way are. I don't want to say in no way. That's too strong. They are very, very rarely connected. From a a, they're two different exams. I guess I guess was what I'm trying to say. Your oral is going to be very scenario based. Your DPE is not going to to come in. Let me see if I can think of an example here. When you're in the echo airspace, right? What are your cloud clearances and minimums, right? in the Bravo airspace, what it, right? They're going to tell you, Hey man, or gal or whatever, plan me a flight from here to there. You're going to do your nav log. You're going to do your weight and balance. You're going to do your takeoff and landing calculations, all of that stuff. 91203, everything that's covered in there. Right. But then they're going to say to you, what kind of air am I flying in for this flight? what are some considerations of those airspaces, right? It's, it's very conversational and practical based and scenario based, I should say, versus your written exam. It's a multiple choice exam. It's very by the book. They, again, that written teaches you the fundamentals, but it, it doesn't necessarily cover everything that is going to be in your actual, uh, oral exam. So that's why, again, I, I'm, 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 I was generally not too concerned about taking the written too early and then forgetting everything from a ground standpoint. You're, you're doing ground along the way anyway. And again, we'll talk about this in a second. You're doing ground along the way anyway. You shouldn't forget anything. You're, you're build the written is the first step. The initial ground school and getting that written down is the first step. And to me, from there, you build on top of that. Uh, so get that off the way. Flight sim and cheer flying and just staying consistent, like I mentioned, overall. Super, super important. I think, and we've talked about this on the show before, it is incredibly important that you stay immersed in your training. And what I mean by that is, for me, I'll use my example. I did this all part-time while working full-time, obviously in my career, my job. So I was flying, uh, about three times a week in the evenings or on the weekends. Um, and if I left it there alone and did nothing else in between, it would have taken me far longer to actually complete my um, private pilot journey. You got to stay immersed in this thing. And what I mean by that is for those of you that have a flight sim out there, we and again, we've talked about how much flight sim or how far flight sim has, ca- has come to allow folks to really immerse themselves in aviation and flights um beyond the real world cockpit to supplement that training, to supplement that journey. Super, super important. Get in the sim and fly. You've got, you know, a ton of, of, of general aviation aircrafts out there available to us uh in flights and to, to, you know, even if it's just to, give you the foundation and the fundamentals of the aircraft like it's all about muscle memory for your private pilot and familiarity of the cockpit and familiarity of you know how do i you know a a side slip a forward slip steep turns right again you don't necessarily feel those g-forces like you would and that, that, you know, fly by the seat of your your pants feeling like you do when you're actually in the aircraft, but building that muscle memory, it's, it's a step beyond chair fly, I guess is what I'm saying. Flight sim is so important. And again, being immersed in your training as much as you can. When I wasn't out there flying or doing ground school with an instructor, I was watching YouTube videos. It's another thing that I think it doesn't get talked about a ton is there are... A ton of different free materials out there that you can utilize to help you grasp either concepts you're struggling with, concepts that are very new to you, another way of, of listening, to, listening beyond your instructor or whatever ground school program you're using, another way to grasp things. I can't tell you how many times you know, weather was the the biggest struggling point for me in in my private pilot journey up until the end. And now it's probably my strong suit. I love it, which is probably why, you know, instrument flying has been so great so far. Again, we'll get into that in a bit, but I love what that is. My favorite part about aviation is weather. I love looking at prog charts. I love determining the freezing level. I, 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 you know, I, I love looking at the outlook briefings. I love looking at the forecast. I love reading, you know, the synopsis. It's it's weather was My, you know, probably again my weakest point initially in my private pilot journey, and I love it. I love it, Uh, and it's because I watched one YouTube video. Don't remember the name or who it was by, but he—he's actually—I'll find it later, probably link it in here in the podcast. But he's a meteorologist and also a pilot. I think he's a private pilot. I think he's instrument rated, but he doesn't fly for a career. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I think his his main career is a meteorologist. He put a video up that talked about meteorology and private pilot and the fundamentals and the way he broke down low pressure systems, high pressure systems, the weather associated with low and high pressure systems, cold fronts, occluded fronts, stationary fronts, all those things that I was struggling to grasp. He broke it down in such a way that made it so simple. And I was like, Oh my gosh, why did it take me so long to finally get this and retain it? And again, I didn't have to go pay him to do that. It's a, it's a free video. And I think it was probably like five, six years old at the time when I was watching it, free video available there on YouTube. And, and there's so many different, again, aspects of the private pilot journey or things that are covered for your private pilot that is available on YouTube for you to go out and actually get some additional uh, learnings and, and additional context on if you're struggling with things to grasp it. And again, that's what I mean by staying immersive, right? I didn't, it wasn't with an instructor that I was paying or at the flight school or through a different, through a ground course. It was just me, bored one evening, feet up. Let me throw on some YouTube. Let me go watch this thing that just popped up here as it relates to uh, private pilot and weather. And I grasped that at the end. And the video wasn't even that long. I think it was like 45 minutes or even 30. Um, but that's what I mean. Staying immersive in your journey, staying immersive in the training. Go out talk to people pick people's brains pick pilots brains go out to your local flight school your local flight club go flying with your instructor if he's got a ferry flight going i did that once he was ferrying a flight told me to come on by i was actually in an instrument flight and i didn't know what the heck he was doing at that point in my journey right but just being exposed and immersed in, in aviation in general provides additional context and, adi- and an additional layer. Um, again, this is me personally and, and what has helped me to be able to, to gas uh, grasp concepts and certain things quicker than if I was just going by the book, going by a regular ground school, doing it once or twice a week and not picking it up throughout the week With other, again, immersive and supplemental material. Free at that. So, incredibly important, I think, is uh, again, Flight Sim, Chair Fly, stay immersed in the journey. And then, last but not least, Ground School. Um, I think, what did I use initially for my private pilot? It wasn't Kings, I used Kings for IFR. Which was great by the way I actually used it for my private pilot uh but um oh my gosh i can't remember who i used for private. Pilot. it was it was bad it just you know it wasn't kings um I don't know. i'll look and find it Um but selecting a ground school uh, again you know i think depending on the flight school you go to and whatnot there may be flight schools and whatnot that you go to where you can get everything from them and an instructor will sign you off and you can go take your written To me, that's the much more expensive route. Um, It's going to take you a much longer period of time to grasp that stuff. Uh, And obviously, you're going to be paying for it. Uh, I'm not a fan of weekend ground school crash courses either. Um, And again, this is me personally and how I learn. I would get it probably enough to pass the written. And then I wouldn't be able to retain any of it because I didn't truly learn and grasp it over a period of time. That's just my learning style. Crash um crash learning or crash studying has never been a thing that has suited me well for the long term it'll maybe maybe it get me through an exam or two but again like I mentioned that written is a foundation for what's to come at the end of your journey uh, for that oral and that check ride. Um, for me personally grasping that stuff over a weekend wouldn't have really done it for me so again, I opted to do a ground school um, online ground school got that done got the sign off from that instructor, Um, and went and took the written, knocked it out early. Again, I had seven hours, seven flight hours when I took my written. I took my written. I walked in, did my discovery flight, and I was done with my written four weeks later. So, again, you just got to, once you know it's something that you want to do and you want to hit the ground running, just go get it done. Stay immersed. Go get it done. I did leave one thing out consider budget and um, probably dovetails into all of this that I just talked about, right? The more immersive you're going to be, the more consistent you're going to be, the the more you're going to save in the long run as it relates to how much it's going to cost you to get it done. Um, and probably goes into, you know, your flight school, and discovery flight, uh, your initial sort of homework that you're going to be doing as you look to select a flight school instructor, man. I haven't heard too many stories of this, especially lately. Uh, where folks are quoting, you know, 25 grand, 30 grand for a, a private pilot. That's that's a little crazy to me. Uh, maybe if you're flying, you know, like, like I said uh, before, a Cirrus or something, um, probably. But, you know, look out for things like that, man. 25, 30 grand for a private pilot um, ticket in a 1969 System 172. You guys got to ask yourself a couple of different questions. It's also on the other extreme as well. Look out for those schools that tell you you can get your private pilot for 10 grand. I mean, right, really dig into how many hours are they talking about here? What's required from you as it relates to uh, consistency and availability to be able to hit that with 10 grand? Because like I said, for your private pilot, the longer you go between lessons and all those other things that's associated with getting your ticket, the more you're going to end up paying because you're you're just, it's just human nature. Unless man, you're just like a true stick and rudder person. Um, you know, you're going to just be repeating lessons. You know, you go out there and you do steep turns and you don't do steep turns for another three weeks. It's going to be tough to, to get back in the saddle and really nail them. Um, and those things coupled with the other maneuvers that you're supposed to be learning and doing and getting within, um, uh, within uh, the, the ACS standards, um, it's 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 going to be tough to do that over a long period of time. That's why consistency for your private pilot, really any ticket, but especially for your private pilot, is super important, and it plays into your budget. So consider budget. Um, don't go to a flight school that's going to tell you uh, you can get it done in eight ten grand, or one that's going to tell you for your private pilot it's going to cost you thirty grand. Like you know, really dig into what's what's tied to those costs, right? What's the um, What's the uh, hourly rate for the aircraft? Is it wet? Is it dry? What's the hourly rate for the instructor? Things you need to dig into and consider. So I'll take a break here. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk about the accessibility of aviation. I think that's a nice topic to dovetail into. I had uh, uh, my good buddy, Charlie, one of our co-hosts here, uh, tell me, Mike, I know you're recording tonight. You definitely gotta talk about some of the things that we've talked about offline as it relates to the accessibility of aviation and why is it just so damn hard to break through to, to 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 some of these things that's that's related to aviation? So when we come back, uh, that's what we'll talk about. Uh, in the meantime, we'll take a break, and we'll see you in a second. All right, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Um, Accessibility in aviation. First of all, if you're listening to the Coast Traffic Podcast, Mike solo dolo episode, man. I am here by myself holding it down today. I uh, don't know when we'll get this episode up, but we'll get it up at uh, at some point. Um, accessibility of aviation. Uh, my good buddy uh, Charlie wanted us to cover this today. You know, we talk about it often, man, it's, you know, especially here in the US, why is aviation so tough to, to, to access and, 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 and go out there and pursue a true career in? Um, I think number one, aviation in, in and of itself is expensive. You're flying expensive airplanes, fuel these days is, is expensive uh, a flight instructor's time, the overhead for a flight school in general, every cost has gone up tremendously in every walk and every aspect of life. You know, I've, I've seen, I've seen some of our, our, our more seniored to put it nicely, our more senior um, uh, pilots out there and folks that have been around this industry for a long time say, man, I remember when I was out there paying an instructor $8,000 an hour, and I got uh, a 172 for $20 wet. I mean, you know, obviously, right, times have changed. We're far from that. You've also got uh, the, the the military route, where, you know, your, your aviation um, uh, schooling or, you know, whatever it is, right, all of your aviation Requirements are paid for by the military if that's the path you you've chosen uh, in the military or were selected for in the military, and you're able to transition from uh, from that into civilian life and have the required hours and experience that you need to go pursue a career an actual career in aviation. You know that tons of people that have done it that route, but I think what we're talking about specifically here is for your 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 general public. You know, folks that have come out and said, man, I want to just get up tomorrow morning and go be a pilot, especially for those that are already five, 10, 15 years into another career. Uh, It's tough, man. Uh, It's super tough, right? Because you've got to consider a couple of different things. Where you are in your career, probably the salary that you're making, what obligations and Uh, responsibilities do you have to yourself and to your family and whatever it may be. Uh, And and we're not just talking about the financial aspects. We're talking about uh, even um, again, specifically pursuing aviation as a career, like the airlines and whatnot. Uh, We're talking about just being available, right? Being on the road all the time and the toll that that takes uh, on yourself or on your family where Let's be honest, in reality, uh, you know, if you're pursuing this as a, a young individual just out of high school or just out of college, probably a little bit easier. Um, so pursuing a career in aviation, you know, when you're through a good bit of, uh, of a different career path in your life, maybe you've gone to school already and you've gotten your your degree in, in other areas. And again, you wake up in the morning and say, I want to go pursue aviation. It's tough. It's tough. It's, uh, you know, all of the things that we just talked about here as it relates to things that you need to consider and the consistency and the budget and some of those other things. It's not as easy as saying, I'm going to go do a career change to something else. Maybe, I don't know, I worked in the restaurant industry and now I want to go into IT. Or, right, you you go take some IT courses, uh, you know, some, maybe some coding classes or whatever, right, specific computer science, right, specific area of IT I'm talking about here. Um, you want to be a software engineer, right? It's a little bit easier to go and transition into those different career paths. Um, aviation is just so, so hard to do to, uh, as it relates to being able to break into that. Um, and, and we're again, we're talking about the cost considerations, um, the logistics of it all. It's... Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really tough and we'll also have to talk about the availability of resources as well as it relates to you know scholarships and grants and, and even loans. Uh, I think it's far easier and we've talked about this in the past it's far easier to go get a, a regular school loan uh, to go pursue another degree or whatever it is you may whatever it is it may be than it is to go get a loan for a flight school. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's much harder to go get scholarships and grants for aviation than it is to get scholarships and grants for other careers, right. That we've noticed and that we've seen out there. Um, and, and based on what folks have, have told us in the conversations that we've had, uh, it's just not easy. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I truly don't definitely open to, uh, hear other opinions and other suggestions, um, but I know again, right? Unless you're coming out of high school and you're going to an Embry Riddle or some other focused university or or career path, you know, maybe it's uh, ATP. Uh, it is super hard to transition from something that you've been doing for ten plus years, right? Talking about that that this general pop that general population there. Uh, Something that you've been doing as a career, maybe you've got a family already, super hard to transition into uh, the aviation sector uh, to become a pilot. I should be more specific there, right, to become a pilot um, just because of the things that we've just talked about. Uh, I think one of the other things that we also have to consider is, and we've talked about this before as well, There's more to being a pilot. There's more to working a career in aviation than going to fly for an airline. Um, There are so many different avenues in which you can exercise uh, your love for aviation um, tickets that you may have under your belt. All right. You've got survey work you can do. You've got, you know, civil air patrol. You've got, um aircraft sales you've got demo you've got ferry we've had folks on, on on the podcast here in the past that have um you know have pursued those careers and are doing those things um that are not commercial not commercial i shouldn't say that that are not airline pilots that's that's the, the big sexy if you will right being an airline pilot donning that that jacket and that hat and jumping in a 7.3 or an A320 or whatever it may be, but um, there's nothing, jump, nothing wrong with jumping in a Pilatus PC-12 and sending it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with charter ops. Uh, there's nothing wrong with jumping in a 182 and ferrying it. There's nothing wrong with demoing whatever aircraft it is to a prospective buyer. There's so many different avenues that I think we uh, we tend to overlook as it relates to pursuing a career in the aviation. Um, and I think that that, that, um, that dovetails into some of the accessibility or the perceived accessibility issues that, uh, you know, we've seen out there. I think there needs to be more conversations and more considerations for the different avenues um, that folks can get themselves in if they truly have a passion and love aviation. Um, let's talk about, you know, dispatchers. You know, I think they're probably one of the most overlooked uh, individuals or roles uh, as it relates to to, to the aviation world. Um, you know, at the end of the day, again, when you consider commercial ops, especially airliner ops, uh, you're not doing much of your own planning once you get to that level, right? Uh, obviously, you're, especially if you're the captain, right, your PIC, you're responsible at the end of the day to carry out and execute the safety of that flight and review uh, what has been uh, dispatched for you. Um, But at the end of the day, you're not doing that initial planning. So there's someone there that is actually qualified and has gone through a fair amount of training and school to get to where they are to be able to do that. And I think they're overlooked too often as well as it relates to pursuing that additional um, component of, of what we know as the aviation world. So super important there. I think, you know, I wanted to touch on that. Happy to get into some additional dialogue for some of the things that uh, you guys have observed and have seen there. Maybe uh, you're one that started your career as uh, as uh, with the end goal of, of flying for a major airline or even if it's a small airline and you transitioned into something else. Maybe you love instructing. Maybe you love instructing and that's what you're doing full time. I'm teaching others how to fly. Let me let me spend a little bit on instructing, by the way. Can I tell you, and I thought about this the other day, and I said I was going to bring this up, almost forgot. I don't think flight instructors get enough credit. When you consider the amount of hours that they have to put in to getting to the point where they are for their CFI and their CFII, it is insane. The amount of learning, the amount of, of training, right? Just to get to that point is insane. I was talking to my instructor the other day. He told me his CF double, not CF double, his CFI initial, his CFI initial was a seven hour event, man. Five hour oral and a two hour practical. Like that is nuts. And that's just to get to that point to say I am qualified to teach let's not talk about once they finally get there, they've got people trying to using this uh, hair loosely, but kill them all day long, <laughs> right? And obviously not on purpose, man. You know, we've all been there where you're probably doing a power on or a power off stall and you use too much aileron instead of rudder and put that damn thing into a spin or close to a spin and they're there to catch you. And it's coming in based a final turn and you're uncoordinated or, you know, you're a little bit slow and you almost stall the damn air car. Like there's many, many different things and many different scenarios in which instructors have to, uh, really be on the ball, uh, to observe and, and, uh, be prepared to step in. And I think that in, in addition to really helping you and let's face it, oftentimes it's not just you, right? Unless you've got some sort of private instructor deal or whatever going on there, they're, they're They've got a number of st- anywhere from, I don't know, five to 10 students at a time, depending on the flight school and depending on the instructor's workload. Uh, and they're tailoring, you know, obviously there's a curriculum, but a lot of the times, depending on the individual, they've got to tailor that curriculum to, you know, for them um, and ensure that they're getting what they need out of uh, their journey. And, you know, I don't, and maybe they go into the general bucket of, of, uh, of, of, uh, prof- Teachers, professional teachers, professional instructors, professors, teachers that have taught us all the things that we've known from grade school on to university. Right? Uh, maybe they go into that same bucket of they just aren't acknowledged enough for the things that they instill into uh, into us. And um, I again, it was weighing on my mind. I thought I had to bring it up uh, for those of you going through flight training now, man. Uh, Definitely acknowledge that. Definitely acknowledge your instructor. If you've got a good one, um, to be honest, like anything else in the world, they're they're not always great, not always even good. Uh, if you got a good instructor, you know, let them know. Let them know how thankful you are um, for 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 the journey that uh, you know they are taking you on, and and for what you've been able to accomplish and achieve. Especially if uh, you know you've you've gone through that initial phase of passing a check ride with them, and maybe you're onto your instrument. Uh, it's not an easy job, man. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy task to teach someone how to fly a plane. Um, just just put yourself in 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 their shoes for a moment and think about the things that you've done um to to get to your yourself to a point where you're learning how to fly a plane and then now try to think about how you would teach that back to someone. It's not easy. It's not easy, it's tough. So anyway, I segued a little bit there. Um, where the heck was I? <laughs> this is why I have co to keep me on track. Uh, yeah, accessibility of aviation. So, again, I think, you know, oftentimes we get caught up in the, let me go pursue a career here with the airlines, and there's other things to consider. Um, and I think we need to do something as a community, uh, and I'm talking here specifically within the U.S., and maybe this is an issue overseas as well, but uh, as a country to make sure we find ways to make aviation more accessible um, to everyone. And again, if I really were to focus on is for those that are looking for a career change or a career shift um, from what they're doing already today, it makes it so hard. You hear there's a pilot shortage, there's a pilot shortage, there's a pilot shortage. But we ever stop to consider why there is a pilot shortage. So something something to consider. Uh, there's the, the, There's got to be a route to that. And is it because there aren't enough people out there that aren't interested in aviation? um oftentimes it's they don't need know where to start it's too damn expensive they've already spent a hundred thousand dollars in in school to go pursue a career elsewhere and now you're telling them they gotta go pursue another hundred thousand dollars from private pilot through atpl it's not always enticing and it's not always worth it and let's not forget the the initial pay right now regional airline pay and some of those other things have come a long way over recent years for sure And then when you eventually get to the point in your career, right, you're sitting left seat for a major airline, you're you're probably coming out really good. But initially, and especially in this economy, pay is not always great. So you consider all the money that you're putting in that maybe a, you know, if I could equate that closely to probably a lawyer or a doctor or some sort of physician, maybe, maybe not necessarily. It depends on the doctor, right? You know, you're all in depending on how you do it. You're probably looking at anywhere from 80 to hundred K for your flight training. If you're, if you're looking to get to that point for um, to a major airline and is the ROI worth it initially and upfront, it, it's tough for people to perceive it. Uh, and I think that contributes to why we've got this this pilot shortage and have had it for so many years. We've got to look a little bit deeper into what's contributing to that. Anyway, instrument rating. Oh my gosh, we're almost an hour in. So pursuing through that really good. Uh, it's uh, it's been it's been fun. Um, I said the other day on a one of uh. On the videos I posted, flying here across country flight recently, that uh, I gave a little update in the cockpit, right? You know, aviation and uh, sorry, instrument rating's going well, um, and in fact, I found instrument rating to be easier so far than private pilot. And uh, had some folks tell me, I don't know about that, man. I, I think there are a couple things to that. I think. From the perspective of if you are someone that has done a lot of flight simming, and we've seen this on the Navigraph survey in the past and year after year, most of the folks that flight sim are doing instrument flights, right? You know, we've seen an uptick in general aviation flight simmers, especially with the introduction of 2020, but a lot of the people that are flight simming uh, are doing instrument flights, right? End of the day, it makes sense. You want to go simulate something that you have the vision or uh, one day hope to be doing. Um, And not to mention, we've got some very sophisticated uh, commercial airliners in flight sim today uh, that makes that even more possible and even more immersive. And, you know, I was doing that stuff well before I even started my private pilot journey. So I was very familiar with a lot of the uh, flying by instruments and some of the procedures, right. You know, versus someone that has come into aviation raw, never really had a flight sim, never really had that exposure, right. I didn't know, need to know what a SID or relearn or learn, I should say what a SID is, what a star is right now. Granted, there's a lot more to instrument flying. I'm sitting here with a 35 page, uh, ifr quick review study guide by pilotscafe.com by the way i'll link it for you guys take a look um really really encompasses a lot of the uh uh i guess quick and dirty study guide as it relates to to instrument flying ifr i don't know if they have private pilot stuff on there as well but uh, definitely for ifr so it's pilotscafe.com and it's called airplane ifr quick review study guide um there's, there's a ton here there's a ton here that you know i've learned um, gone through ground with uh, getting close to uh, looking at check ride and all that stuff um, but the fundamentals of being able to fly looking inside the airplane versus outside is, is, is skills and things that you've built up if you are a flight simmer and that's what make instrument flying makes instrument flying a little easier now to caveats and on the opposite end of that that is also a detriment to a lot of private pilot pilots when they are first looking to get their their license. Um, if you've done a lot of flight simming and instructors have told us all the time, they can tell, um, especially when you're getting that private pilot, because your private pilot and flying VFR, it's all about looking outside. And, you know, us flight simmers, we are so used to looking inside at the instruments that it's a hard habit to break when you're pursuing your PPL, but for your instrument rating, that's what it is you know, looking inside and referencing your instruments to, uh, uh, to, 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 uh, to guide you along your flight. And, uh, it's stuff that, you know, again, depending on how long you've been the flights and you've been doing for years, you take that a step further and you add the VAT SIM or, um, uh, pilot edge or IVAO component, actually being able to talk to, uh, air traffic control and fly those procedures and, and uh you know those procedures and and those approaches and whatever it may be there's a, a level of familiarity there now there are things that you don't necessarily know or cover in in um you know in flight simming that's going to be a little bit different or new to you Like, first of all how often do we shoot holes in flight sim right how often do we fly a DME arc in flight sim um you know those types of things so generally we're we're big bird flying and we're doing a major sit and a major star and an ILS approach. And if we are put into a hole, let's say it's a VATS and Friday night ops or something, I haven't, wanted, had, haven't had one of those in a while, but you just hit the, 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 FMC and it does it all for you. Right. But being able to understand the components and the raw sort of inputs that go into making that calculation is things that you're going to learn that you you may not necessarily be accustomed to. So anyway, I say all that to say um, the concepts around IFR flying to me have been much easier to grasp than my initial private pilot. Um, and I think a lot of that is uh, is to do with uh, the amount of simming um, that I have done and, and kind of still do here today. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about getting your PPL and things to consider. I think as you guys make that transition to your instrument, Uh, I think flight sim becomes even more important uh, and a more important thing to consider. In addition to, uh, like I mentioned before, you know, those online ATC components that simulate real world procedure and operations and being able to talk to ATC. A lot of people struggle with that component, I think, of flight sim, flight simming, of aviation, right? That key the mic and automatically freeze up because you don't know what the heck to say no matter how many times the instructor has repeated it to you you fly on vatsim you fly on IVAO, or you fly on pilot edge you get accustomed to that and it's just like the real world right that um that uh, that mic fright if you will uh typically is is not really a factor this there's, there's definitely a difference than Uh, uh, difference between talking to a a VATSIM or Pilot Edge control than there is to keying that mic for the very first time in the real world. But uh, very quickly and over a a number of flights, it it becomes second nature. Whereas, you know, if you've never really done any of that before in Flight Sim and or simulate uh, with VATSIM or IVA or Pilot Edge, it's going to take you much longer. So uh, I say all that to say, instrument flying has been going quite well. Uh, I am loving the, 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 uh, the, the ground, the, the, uh, obviously I've done the written before. I've, I've uh, I think I've talked about that already, um, scored higher on my IFR written than I did on my private pilot. Uh, again, it, the, the concepts just seem so much easier to grasp. And I think flight sim has a lot to do with that. So more to come, more to come on that. So I'll definitely circle back. Um, and to close out our show this evening, uh, I can't leave without talking about a flight sim update. Phoenix A320. So the Phoenix A320 was recently updated to uh, V2. I think this was a uh, an update that folks have been waiting for for quite some time. Um, I think November of last year is when they announced that it was it was coming, um, and they they've worked really hard. At uh, at uh, at uh, at finally getting this done and uh, and out to the public. It's a massive change, guys. Massive update. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it it is laying the foundation for the IAE engine um as well as the sharklets i think they've announced an a321 to come as well it's really laying the foundation a neo it's really laying the foundation for what they've got on their roadmap i think it's super exciting there's no secret that i am a huge airbus fan it's my favorite commercial uh uh, airliner uh favorite commercial equipment i love the airbus as a passenger obviously never flown in real life but as a pilot Simming it and sitting in the cockpit and talking to other pilots that do it for a living. I love it. I love it. Love the Airbus. So, you know, I'm a big fan of this update. Um, A lot of the update was centered around performance. I think it, uh, it is no secret that when the Phoenix first launched uh, they had a, a lot of performance issues, especially for those with lower end rigs. Over the months and and, and year or so, they've tweaked it. Uh, but this one is a huge performance boost that they've done here with uh, with the A320. I uh, saw someone simulating it the other day at a, a very heavy um, performance-based uh, JFK done by our, our good buddies over there at... Um, oh my gosh, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, any builds, I believe. Uh, they've had everything at JFK turned on. They threw the Phoenix in there at the gate, at the ramp, and they saw a difference of almost eight, um, eight FPS. Now on paper, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you know, you're know you a flight simmer out there, you know, eight to 10 FPS is a huge performance boost. Uh, so kudos and shout out to uh, the folks over at Phoenix uh, for such a large and, and huge update. They've reworked also... Um, uh, the display renderings, uh, the colors, the, the text look much more true to life. Uh, again, some of these things you're probably not going to notice as much if, you know, uh, you're not, you know, really into the Airbus or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I'm there's subtle things that I've always noticed um, that they have, have recently fixed and have improved. And I think it's super, super cool Uh, The flight model updates, crosswind takeoffs and landings, takeoff pitch input for rotation and landing, bouncy castle, super fun tops. So essentially, again, if you uh, flew that uh, that Phoenix uh, A320, you know, um, that in crosswind takeoffs and landings, it was a little funky. So they've reworked uh, some of the flight dynamics and flight controls, uh, to fix a lot of those issues that were there in the past. So huge as well. I'm not going to go into everything. I'll link the article here from, from Phoenix and FS elite that talks about the update, but huge shout out to the folks over at Phoenix. I am looking forward to the additional updates. I myself personally haven't flown it yet. I'm going to probably get into that this weekend. Hopefully We've um, got some instrument flying to do, uh, but uh, we'll probably get into the Airbus there and take take it for a spin. I am more so looking forward to the IAE updates um, as well as the Sharklets and then subsequently the 321 and Neos. Man, that's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I think that does it for me. Oh, my gosh. My first solo podcast. Let me know what I uh, how you guys think I did. Uh, hopefully, I didn't disappoint my co-hosts, Johnny and Charlie, too much. Um, <laughs> when you guys listen to this back, uh, I think I held it down for you guys. Let me know. Let me know. Uh, but this has been super fun. I think if we were to summarize the show, uh really the key the key takeaways here uh are, are really centered around you want to go be a private pilot, stay consistent, um, immerse yourself into uh the the, the world of aviation that is out there. Um, the the free world of aviation I should say that is out there. like I mentioned aviation is expensive the components associated with aviation is expensive, but there is a lot of free there are a lot of free resources and materials uh, and things out there that one can use to supplement their journey um, to help save money, um, help stick to a budget and um, I think uh, that's super important here as you pursue that uh instrument rating has been going great definitely looking for uh to looking to provide you guys another update as it uh as it uh, pertains to that runway incursions and upticks is it perception or reality i want to hear from you we want to hear from you let me know what you guys think um and then obviously the huge phoenix a320 uh update uh I'm going to, like I said, personally try it myself this weekend. I'll come back with the review for you guys. And I also want to know what you think if you've flown it yourself as well. Anyway, that's going to do it for your boy, Mike. I'm getting on out of here. Hope you guys have a great uh, rest of your – we'll probably drop it here. It's Thursday night. Probably drop it here on Saturday. So as you listen to this over the course of the weekend and into the next week, you guys uh, uh, have a safe one. And as always, like we say here at CTP, for your boy, Mike. Charlie and Johnny, keep the blue side up. We'll see ya.